0: Okay, I think. All right, you may be seated. I'll get right into the Bible study tonight. Deuteronomy chapter 34. <clears throat> Basically, we left off last week. We saw, let me do one thing here, I'll back up. We talked about the tabernacle in the wilderness. We saw that Israel was going to wander for 40 years. Now we come into this Bible study here, and they have already finished wandering through the wilderness. They've actually wondered 38 years. If you take the time they came out, etc., and you put it all together, it was 40 years altogether. Now it is important as, as we study the foundation truths of this Bible study, that you get every detail, <clears throat> because every detail that we cover in these Bible studies are going to happen again. okay? It's not like we're just studying history way back there that has no application for us tonight. Or in the future. Everything that you're looking at. Happened in the past. Is going to happen all over again. It happened in the past. It happened in the days of Jesus. And it's going to happen in the end time church. Even the number 40 is significant. And they're wondering. 38 years. Really two more onto that. 40 total. That is all very, very significant. Because it's going to happen again. Alright. It's very important for us to understand. Now, give you a quick example and then I'll get into the foundation of the Bible study. Israel wandering in the wilderness is a picture of what you and I have to go through, amen, to move into the things of God. Hallelujah. Now, Moses is a type of the man-child. Are you here? Jesus is the man-child in the New Testament. Moses is an Old Testament type of the man-child. You are the man-child in the last days. So, it was in the days of Moses, it is in the days of Jesus, and it is in our day. And I'm giving you that, just to give you a little bit of a filler, because it, Sunday mornings we're going to be dealing with some of these things right here, but we're going to take them into a very, very powerful, important message for you to understand. In fact, I think it's so important that it probably determines some of your salvation. Because what we're going to be talking about is very, very serious. In fact, I'll tell you how powerful it is. This foundation truth. When we get over and we talk about the judge Sunday morning, the judge's Sunday morning. It is so important for you to understand what God is doing right now. That if you don't know what He's doing, you will be very deceived. And you will be lost in the wilderness. In fact, what I have been studying for the last two days about this present hour and where we are have been so overwhelming to me that I've been walking around in a daze. That is where we are right now in the Spirit. So get these foundational truths, every number, every type, every shadow, everything we talk about. Write it down. Get your notepads out. Write it down. Of course, some of you are teaching these Bible studies to people and uh, you really have no idea how important they are. So I'm giving you that right now. Okay so israel has come through the wilderness they've wondered for 40 years why did they wonder because of unbelief now remember god brought them out of egypt yeah with me are y'all awake he brought them out of egypt right by the blood of the lamb the passover lamb but he didn't just bring them out just to bring them out <coughs> we talked about that before he brought them out to take them into something See, He didn't just save you from the world just to save you from the world and sin. He, he saved you, brought you out of the world so you could bring, He could bring you into something. Do you understand that? And not everybody is going to get there. They're going to fall off by the wayside in the wilderness because when God brought them out, brought Israel out of Egypt, He brought them out to get them into the promised land. On the other side of the Jordan. Y'all remember that, right? God sent out, what? Twelve men, one from each tribe, to go spy out the land. We covered this last week. They went over there, they spied out the land. They said, yeah, it's a land flowing with milk and honey. It's a picture of the inheritance of the people of God. Okay? We, and, and so they said, yeah, it's just like God said. It's, there's houses there that we didn't build. There's wells there we didn't dig. There's vineyards there we didn't plant. All we got to do is go possess the promise. But going into that land and possessing the promise is not for children. In fact, following the Lord is not for children. Following the Lord is very serious and very dangerous stuff. Now, while I hear some of y'all asking this question, well, what about the Bible says that you're coming to me like a little child? You can't enter in the kingdom of God. Well, that's your attitude. But as far as your warfare goes, you can't, atta- you can't approach this warfare and this living for God as a child. It's, it's for men. It's for mature people in God. You understand what I'm saying? And it's going to get more intense as we go. <coughs> and God has planned it that way. Amen. So Israel comes out of, the, out of Egypt. They've been delivered by blood. And God wants to take them into the promised land. In this awesome inheritance. But when they get there. Ten of them go out there. Yeah, it looks good. But they come back with an evil report. Of unbelief. Two of them, Joshua and Caleb. Two of the twelve say, yeah. It's just like God said it was. Let us go up at once. And possess the land for we are well able to possess the land in fact everybody in that promised land are usurpers anyway it doesn't belong to them anyway they just moved into that land hundreds of years ago without permission it belonged to Abraham and his seed so they said we're gonna go up and we're gonna possess that land you know those two but the other ten unbelief and doubt crept in and as a result of that, basically the whole nation, except for the two, uh, you know, of course Moses, said, well, we better not do that, because there's giants in that land. Hallelujah. And as a result of that, God says, okay, now, because you, you doubted me, you're going to go back into the wilderness, and you're going to wander around for 40 years, 38 specifically. So what you have is that generation that... Look at this. You see the death of Moses here. Moses isn't even going to get to go into the promised land because he disobeyed God. And he's a very powerful man. But because of his disobedience to God, he doesn't get to go into the promised land, nor do all of that generation that came out of Egypt. Every one of them with the exception of Joshua and Caleb and a few other people. Some Levite priests phineas another one all the rest of that generation died so that we'll just say 40 years for your understanding from the time they left egypt to the time they're supposed to go in the promised land for 40 years god is waiting for that unbelieving generation to die off their children their offspring are going to enter into that land okay but everybody that was 20 years or above that left egypt god said they're going to die off in the wilderness. They can't go into the promised land. So they have experienced the blood of the Lamb. They've been redeemed by blood. They have been to Mount Sinai, which is a type of Pentecost. They've been filled with the Holy Ghost typically. So they've been to the cross. They've experienced a a Pentecostal outpouring of the Holy Ghost in them typically. Are you with me here? but they're walking in unbelief and because they're walking in unbelief they don't get to go into the promised land. They all die in the wilderness. So that generation that's wandering around in the wilderness going around in circles and circles and circles is a type of the immature Christian. An immature Christian. A Christian in his infancy a Christian who is walking in unbelief and murmuring and complaining. Are you with me here? They are wonderers and they cannot get Egypt out of their mind. All they can think about is the world they left behind. And so because they are very immature and they are infant christians and all they can think about is you know the world that they left behind they're going to die in the wilderness see i don't want to be like that generation that comes out of the world has been delivered from the devil and delivered from the world have the blood applied to my life filled with the holy ghost but walking infants infancy being an infant christian thinking about the world i just came out of and wanting egypt and wanting the world do you understand what i'm saying when we get to this lesson we've gone beyond the wondering time they've come back to kadesh bar barnea the same place that they were 40 years ago They were supposed to cross into the promised land, cross the Jordan, and go into the promised land 40 years ago. And so after that generation has died off, that infant generation, now they come back to the same place with a brand new generation, Joshua and Caleb there. Moses goes up to Mount Pisgah. He's able to look over at the promised land, but he can't even enter into it because he disobeyed God and smote the rock twice. You'll remember that story. So even Moses doesn't get to go in the promised land. He just gets to look at it from a distance, from afar, okay? So all that unbelieving generation dies in the wilderness, and they're just going around in circles. I'm emphasizing this. Don't be that. Don't be so focused on what, you know, you came out of. Don't long for the world. Get as far away from the world as you can. Don't even ask the question. There is a temptation for the believer when they come out of the world to ask the question, am I going to have to give up that? What are you talking about? Why are you you talking like that? Why are you saying, am I going to have to give up that? That is not the question you should be asking. The question that you and I should be asking is, what can I give up for the kingdom of God in the light of eternity? Most of the time, people, when they start coming, start moving toward God, what they're thinking about is Egypt. Boy, what am I going to have to give up to serve God? What's God going to require from me? They got too much of Egypt. They're thinking too much about the world. They're thinking too much about where they've come out of. We should say, Lord, what do I have that I can give you? In the light of eternity, this world means nothing in the light of eternity. But I'm telling you today that the Christian is too close to the world. We are too close to Egypt. We are too close to the world. We think about it all the time. We dwell dwell on it all the time. What's God going to require of us now? No, what do you want, God? What can I give you? In the light of eternity, God, whatever you ask from me is nothing. But that generation, because they had that spirit that kept calling them back to Egypt, God said, okay, you're going to die in the wilderness. So, you know, these are foundational truths, but we've got to check ourselves. I've got to go back and I've got to look at my life and I've got to say, okay, God, you know, am am I where I'm supposed to be tonight? Amen. Praise God. And God will put us to the test. He'll come to us and say, can I have that? Do you want that, God? Yeah, I want that. Oh, God, God, God. Well, let me make sure this is you, God. Hello. Just got to make sure it's you, God. And that's okay to put, put you know, try the spirits or whatever. But most of the time, when you hear God telling you to give up something connected to the world, it's God. It's not the devil. It's God. Personal testimony, my wife. I talk, the Lord's been talking to me. I, I, I hit a little bit about I hit a little bit on it Sunday morning with y'all. God's talking to me about doing something, you know, and uh, about giving something, sowing something into the kingdom of God. And so I've been going on for days, and I kept hearing him talk to me some more about it, you know. I want you, you know, are you, would you be willing to give this up, all right? So today, I told my wife, I said, Christina, I said, you pray about this because God is, is talking to me. I believe God's talking to me about giving this up and sowing it into the kingdom so we can get that floor out there on the gym. And so I said, well, you, will you pray about it. Well, she didn't even have to pray about it. She said, well, whatever you want to do. I said, well, I wish you'd pray about it. Now... <laughs> She said, whatever you want to do. Okay, well, that pretty much answered it then because I knew that if she was in agreement with it, it must be God. So y'all just pray. I'm not going to give you the details. Y'all just pray for me and my wife because God has asked something from us so that we can sow it into the kingdom of God so we can put that floor out there in that gym. Are you with me right now? And, and, you know, and I'm looking up saying, Lord, are you sure you want that? He said, yes, I want that. He said, by the way, you've got to lead people by example anyway. I said, okay, God. So y'all just pray for us that we're able to, to do what God wants us to do. My point in telling you is this, is that God is going to come to you and he's going to say, I want that. And you're going to be tempted to say, oh God, do I have to give up that too? Am I going to have to give up that to serve you? No, it's you get to. It's not that you have to. It's that you get to. It's a privilege. It's an honor. And it really doesn't become sacrificial unless it means something to you. Unless it's valuable to you. It's not sacrificial if it's not valuable to you. Give God some praise. But that generation dies in the wilderness because it's thinking about the world too much. Thinking about Egypt. Boy, remember the... The melons and the cucumbers over there in Egypt. Mm. Isn't that sad? That they remember the melons, the leeks, and the cucumbers. And they think about, oh, look at what we lost. But they forget the bondage they were in. They forget the slavery they were in when they were in the world. But you see, that's, that's... The deceitfulness of sin, the deception of sin comes to you as a Christian and tells you, boy, it was good out there. That's a lie. Because sin just comes to you and talks about, you know, the the so-called good times that you had in the world. he, He doesn't come around and tell you about how much pain and sorrow and bondage you were in spiritually. Now, you might have been having a good time out there, okay? Not all the down and outers come to the kingdom of God. Sometimes the up and comers come into the kingdom of God, too. But I'm telling you this if you're an up and comer out there, you were still in bondage spiritually. You had no peace inside of you. And you were going from one thing to another thing, one place to another place, one person to another person, trying to find peace. It's not there. But that generation said, boy, I wish we were back there in Egypt. They forgot their slavery. They forgot where they came from. They forgot what God did for them. I don't want to forget what God did for me. I don't want to forget where I came from. I don't want to let the world swallow me back up and Egypt take me back into his grip. I don't want to be like that immature infant church that came out of Egypt in the wilderness and had to wander and wander and go in circles and circles and circles. And even Moses himself, he dies there before he is able to enter into. And so now the mantle goes from Moses. It's now laid over into the hands of his son Joshua. Joshua was his son in the faith. Joshua walked very close to Moses, okay? And so it's Joshua's turn to take his place. Now typically... Moses sin kept him out of the promised land, but typically Moses represents the law. The law can't get you into the promised land. The law condemns you. The law is the letter. Listen very carefully. The law is the letter. The law is the natural. The letter can't get you into the promised land. The law can't get you into the promised land the law condemns you it doesn't have the power to save you that doesn't mean we're lawless what it does mean is that the law is powerless to save you it's powerless to get you into the promised land so moses dies and joshua jesus lives and it's by joshua okay joshua same name joshua is jesus uh, same name that means salvation or the Lord saves is the one who gets you into the promised land. So now we have the days of Jesus. He's the one that gets, in the prom- gets us in the promised land. You understand that, right? Hallelujah. But <coughs> specifically the death of Moses kept him out. Deuteronomy 34, uh, I mean the sin of Moses kept him out. We see the death of Moses, Deuteronomy 34. He dies at 120 years of age. His strength is not abated. His eyes are not dim. He just—it was just time for him to go. And God just walked by Moses, and He just said, "Time for me to receive your spirit back." Can I tell you something right now? It is a lie that you have to—you have to die diseased. God might—you, I mean—it it might be the door, you know, that gets you there. But it is a lie that you have to die all diseased and. All of that stuff. You know what? When it's time for you to go, it should be just like that. That you go to sleep one night. No disease. Not sick. And the Lord just comes by and says, takes your spirit back into him. And that's exactly what happened to Moses. If it can happen to Moses in the law, it should be able to happen to us in the New Testament age. See, I don't want to die all diseased up. Amen? Amen? I want to die. My eyes still strong. My ears still strong. Amen. My body still strong. They look at me and say, I "Wonder why he died? It's a mystery." No, God just came by and took my spirit out of my body. Amen. I, and he lived to be 120. So that's my goal. I got a lot to do for God. How about you? Praise God. So anyway, he dies. Joshua again is anointed to take his place. And you can read the scriptures of Joshua, the first few chapters, how he is the one that's going to lead them into the promised land. Say the promised land. Now, this generation is going to cross over the River Jordan. And the River Jordan is is always a type of death. The River Jordan points you back to the Red Sea. Okay? Are you with me here? Joshua walks up there to the Red Sea. He tells the high priest to get the ark. Say, get the ark. Joshua goes in front of the people 2,000 cubits. Jesus goes before the church 2,000 years. Are you with me here? I'm going to try to stay away from a lot of the types. I'm trying to teach you a basic foundational Bible study. But anyway, Joshua goes before them. And then the high priest takes the ark of God. Representing the presence of the Lord. They walk over to the river Jordan at Arba. Amen. Say Arba, which means passage. Passage. They walk over there and as soon as they touch their foot in the water of Jordan, the Bible says that the river backs up unto Adam. Say to Adam. Now, the river Jordan flows from Mount Hermon for 200 miles all the way down to the Dead Sea or the Salt Sea. Alright? So as soon as they touch that, that River Jordan there with their foot by faith, because at that time the river Jordan's overflowing its banks. Y'all pray for me. I got a lot of territory. I gotta take you all the way through the Old Testament from this place. So y'all y'all pray for me. That I do this timely, alright? But they touch that river Jordan. As soon as they do by faith, all that water is overflowing the banks. The river divides. And the Bible says it mounts up toward the city of Adam. And the rest of it flows down toward the Dead Sea. So there's a 20 mile area that they have that they can cross over the, in that river Jordan area. The people of God. Are you with me here? Which means this. That, look at this. The priests go before and then Joshua of course is there. Jesus. What we have there is that the finished work of Jesus reaches all the way back to the city of Adam. It reaches all the way back to Adam. Adam. The work of Jesus Christ on the cross takes care of the sin of Adam. That's why the scripture says that the river Jordan backed up all the way to the city of Adam. And then flowed all the way down to the Dead Sea. Because it goes all the way back to original sin and takes care of the fall of man. Give God praise. And the scripture says they, they, they again are standing there in the midst of God's good. Standing in the midst of the... River Jordan, y'all with me here? Isn't God awesome? He's an awesome God. I said, He's awesome. Nothing like Him. Nothing like Him. So anyway, the priests are standing there in the middle of the River Jordan, and all the people are flowing over, going over. Amen? Amen. Joshua says, I'll tell you what I want you to do. He says, I want you to get 12 stones out of the bottom of that river. And I want you to go and put it over on the bank. On this side of the Jordan. Alright? And then I want you to leave 12 of them inside of the river. 12 in, 12 out. The river Jordan is a type of, it's a dividing line. It's a type of Jesus Christ. Jesus separates the Old Testament from the New Testament. You see this? The 12 stones in the river Jordan represent the 12 apostles of the Lamb and their work with Him in bringing in the New Testament church. When you get in this area right here in the promised land, you're talking about New Testament church. You with me here? Are you sure? So then they, but they leave those 12 there and they take 12 more and put it on the banks outside. Why did they do that? God said this. He said, You take the 12 that were covered up, covered up in death, covered up in darkness, covered up in religion. That river joins a picture of darkness, it's a picture of death, it's a picture of religion. He said, what I want you to do is I want you to take 12 rocks that at one time were covered up in darkness, that at one time were covered up in religion, that at one time were covered up in death. He said, I want you to bring them out of that death and I want you to place them on the other side of the, of the river Jordan so that your children can have a memorial to testify to them of the power of God. So that every time those children see that memorial right there, they say, hey, daddy, what's that about? Well, let me just tell you what God did. He brought us out of Egypt. There was a generation that didn't believe Him that died off in the wilderness. But He brought another generation into the Promised Land. And as soon as the priests touched that River Jordan with their feet, with the ark upon their shoulders, the Bible says, and they, they are testifying these things, of course, that it backed up in the city of Adam all the way. It began to flow toward the Dead Sea and we crossed over on dry ground. So these stones here, son, represent the power of God. They were placed there to be a testimony to the children. So what does that mean for us? That you, it is a ashamed today that people are trying to raise their children in dead churches. It is a shame today that people are trying to raise their children where you cannot feel the presence of God. It's a shame today that people are raising their children in churches where God's presence doesn't move. It's a shame. You need to get your children in a church where the power of God is manifest, where God's presence moves. So you can tell them, let me tell you something, son, let me tell you what God does. You can feel God upon you when you go to the house of God. And then 2 Timothy picks it up in the New Testament. He says this. They have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. From such turn away. He said, you get around somebody that all they got is just a form. They got a religion. Their God doesn't heal anymore. Their God doesn't feel anymore. Their God doesn't deliver from demons anymore. Their God doesn't, their God's basically not alive anymore. He said, you get around somebody that's like that. Somebody that's religious like that. He said, turn away from them because they deny the power thereof. They just got a form, that's all. They can talk the talk, but they can't walk the walk. He said, you just turn your back on them. from such turn away well that would be kind of rude would not it pastor well that's what God says to do it is a shame that people are raising their children in ungodly religious institutions where there is no power I tell you what the Bible says to you he says turn your back on that and get out of that Find yourself a church where the power of God is find yourself a church Where the people are delivered from demons find the church that believes in healing find the church where the anointed is get yourself in a place That God can move in your life so it's my prayer that as I raise my children That the inheritance I leave to them is not so much material as it is spiritual inheritance. It's my prayer that someday my little boy rises up and preaches as a prophet. It's, It's my desire someday that my little girl stands in the house of God and sings and plays the piano and worships God. And if God calls her to preach, let God use her to preach. Because God, it's not in a a female male thing. It has to do with the anointing. So whatever God wants for my children, I want to be able to give them a testimony. Let me tell you what God did for our church. Let me tell you what God did for that person. Let me tell you about how God delivered somebody from a devil. Let me tell you about how God heals. I'm telling you, you got to have the power of God. And hopefully... Your children also can understand that you are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone said that you don't just have the power, but you got the doctrine. The twelve are still down there in the sea. They started it all out. Are you with me now? And the twelve on the other side are memorial of what they've done and what God can do. But not just what they did, but what God's doing now. Because everything those New Testament apostles did, Jesus is going to do it again in a church in the last days. He wants to show you what he did, to show you what he's going to do. That's what I'm trying to get across to you right now. If you study the book of Acts, there are not just 12 apostles in Acts. There are at least 12 more that are recorded there. I'm trying to tell you right now that what God started in Acts, he's going to do it again in the future. And I'm living in that generation right now that's going to go into the promised land and possess the promise of God. The church as we know it, God is bringing it to an end. He's going to bring people out of dead, former religious systems. He's going to have a remnant of people who really want to walk with Him in power and in truth. So it's not just what he did, it's what he's doing now. It's what he's going to do. What he's going to do is greater than what he's ever done. You're living in a generation right now that if you don't let yourself get sucked up into that old generation, that old, that old group, the old brotherhood, If you don't let yourself get sucked up in that and you stay in a new move of God in a new day, in a new hour you're going to see things that you've never seen before. But at the same time at the same time you've got a new generation that's going to see a new thing you've got another generation that's going to die off around them I'm telling you they were apostates but alongside the apostates were the real genuine powerful people of God I'm telling you as we go through this hour right now you've got both of them you've got an apostate religious system no power no nothing there but at the same time side by side there's another generation that God has raised up to bring in a new day a new hour they are a new generation they're going to see things like we're going to see things see history in case you don't know it history repeats itself that's how i can i can tell you exactly what's going to happen i can tell you exactly what's going to happen because god uses history what he's already done in the letter in the physical in the natural when you get in the new testament it's now spiritual it's no longer letter it's spirit if you try to take the Old Testament natural and try to bring it into the New Testament spirit, you get very, very confused. For example, if you try to take the Sabbath of the Old Testament and you try to bring it into the New Testament, it's very dangerous for you to do that because God gave the Sabbath there to be a type in a shadow letter-wise, natural, physical-wise, to point to you of spiritual reality to come. Give God praise. The letter killeth, but the spirit maketh alive. He's not saying the word of God is the one that kills you and only his spirit gives life. He's saying the old physical, natural letter that was the first thing that was typical, that brings death. What you need to move in now is the spiritual things of what those typical things pointed to. And for you to try to carry any of that into this hour right now you bring hopeless confusion and there is no power in those meetings there is no presence of god in those meetings because they missed the whole point of it the natural first then the spiritual not the natural then the natural Let's the natural then the spiritual so i'm telling you right now that what happened in the natural help me to calm down i'm trying to teach a bible study what happened in the natural is only pointing to the spiritual reality in which we're moving right now and you have a choice you have a choice to be caught up in the apostasy of this hour or choose you this day whom you will serve. Come out from among that apostate, dead, dry religion. And start walking with God in the power of a resurrection life. Uh, that's what that's a picture of. You've come out of death. You've come up on the other side. You're standing on the other side in resurrection. Power and anointing. Leave the death behind. Leave the religion behind. Leave the darkness behind and come into the power of God. Well, Pastor, that's easy for you to say because you've always been raised in this. No, guess what? You're looking at a Holy Ghost-filled Lutheran. And, and in case you hadn't meant it, and I'm not putting the Lutherans down. Hallelujah. They can be saved just like I got saved. But if you've never been to a Lutheran church, they're about as formal as it gets. They're more formal than some other ones of them. And I was raised as formal as you can get. They didn't believe in saying amen out loud in church. They didn't believe in nothing but sitting there and just looking like this and going to sleep. So you're looking at a Lutheran who's come out of that Lutheran system and has now moved into the body of Christ. You're looking at somebody, so don't tell me that it's not for you, honey. Because I know otherwise. I've come out of it. I've come through the Jordan. I left religion behind. So now we're walking in the spirit and power of God. So I'm telling you, side by side, you've got an apostate generation with a generation that's rising up, that's going to move into the things of God and experience supernatural power. But you're going to have to walk by faith. You're going to have to abide in Christ. You're going to have to keep his commandments. You can't walk in doubt and unbelief. It's time you start doing, stop doing your own thing. It's time I stop doing my own thing and start doing his thing. You'll never get where I'm talking about right now without it. Woo, give God Praise. I'm excited because I believe that God is drawn out from that apostate generation. He's drawn out from among them. Coming from them are children that are going to rise up in the new things of God and experience the promised land. They're going to say, yeah, let's go up there and let's get it. Let's go, let's go. But this is not, again, it is not for the wanderer. And it's not for the person who has a mind to go back to Egypt. If you want to go back to the world and you just want to wander aimlessly in the wilderness, this message is not for you. This message is for people who don't want to wander anymore. This message is for people who don't want Egypt anymore. This message is for somebody that says, I want everything that God has for me. And I'm going to stop doing it my way and doing it God's way. And I'm telling you right now, I feel the Holy Ghost God's telling me right now. That he's already spoken to some of you. That you're heading down the wrong path. And that you need to give up some things that are hindering your walk with God. It's hard. I know it's not easy. But if you'll obey him as soon as you say yes Lord. As soon as you say yes Lord. There's going to be a freedom that breaks through. Breaks out in your spirit. Hallelujah. So now every time we walk up there we say hey. Let me tell you what God did right there. Let me tell you. Ooh, yeah. Come on, let's go to church. Because when we get to church, it's not going to be this formal stuff. When we go to church, God's going to be there. When we go to church, son... Somebody might get healed when we go to church son. Somebody might get healed son Let me tell you something when we go to church There might be somebody that's gonna show up with a devil and we might just have to cast them out in the name of Jesus But we're not going to rejoice in the fact that the devils are subject to us through his name What we're going to rejoice about is that our names are written in the Lamb's book of life Hallelujah. Give God praise in this house Hallelujah. But we can't get there until, first of all, we recognize that there's been a death and a resurrection. And that death was Jesus, and that resurrection was Jesus. But remember this there's always a sacrifice that's yet to be made, and that sacrifice is you and me. So that what Jesus did on the cross is to kill everything fleshly in me. So that I can get in that place in God in this last days. In this final hours. God's raising up a man child. That's going to be a witness to this generation. That's going to turn it upside down for Christ. But it is a generation. It is a remnant to, who have died to their self. It is a remnant to, who's passed through Jordan. They left their old person there in Jordan. They left Egypt there finally and forever. They're in that God they're not walking around saying well I wonder if I got to give that up oh I sure would like to go back to the world they have left it all behind <laughs> praise the Lord God Gee, God's in this house so those of you who teach this Bible study okay, get the tape and, and, and just take the foundational stuff out Because see, I'm teaching it for for you, your benefit to teach Bible studies, but I've got to listen to God and I gotta tell him what he's telling me. (laughs) Praise God. Not everybody's gonna go there. It's a remnant. It's a remnant. God's going to have two witnesses in the last days. And it's not two men, literally. It's two bodies. It's going to be Jewish and Gentile that are going to be the man-child that stand up in the seven-year tribulation period and preach this gospel. I'm looking forward to it because I'm going to tell you this right now. I believe that Jesus is first going to come in me before he comes for me. I believe he's first going to come in you before he comes for you. see god didn't put everything he's put inside of me or you just so he could take and transplant it in heaven it does no good in heaven what he wants to do is everything he's put inside of us he wants us to be a witness in this generation to an apostate i said to an apostate system to people who are in babylon tell them to come out of babylon he didn't put everything in in me or you that he's put in just so he can snatch us up and take us up into heaven and, and, and somehow we can have a harvest there. The harvest is not there. The harvest takes place here. Now, you just hang with me a little bit. I'm starting to see things I've never seen before. You study the harvest in the Bible. There's the first fruit harvest, and then there's the end gathering. The first fruit harvest, the Bible said, you know what it says about it? It says that harvest is to be taken into the house the end gathering is at the end of the day and it's that's the rapture and it's taken from the field which means it's taken from the world at the end it's taken from the world but the first fruits harvest is picked and taken into the house so that God's going to appear in you so you can reach out and gather people out of that apostate system to bring them in once you bring them in and you have a harvest in the house then He's going to take the harvest out of the field out of the world but not until He first brings a harvest in the house give God praise so when you talk about crossing over the promised land you're talking about possessing the promises of God you're talking about tabernacles you're talking about harvest time you're talking about not eating manna anymore but eating the old corn of the land that's what God is doing I'm telling you look at your neighbor say he's going to appear in you first before he appears for you. <laughs> and that scares some of us when we first start contemplating it, but it gets more and more exciting whenever you really start seeing it. Woo, hallelujah. It's all laid out all the way through the scripture. Hallelujah. I'm excited. Now in case, you, in case you want to get the big head about all of this, let, you know, about where you are and about all those out there and who you are right here, can I tell you something? That progressively you are coming out of Babylon. I said progressively you are coming out of Babylon, that there are stages in your coming out. Just because you've come to Mount Zion doesn't mean you've climbed the mountain. Right. Just because you walked up there and said, hey, there's Mount Zion. You're standing at the foot of it, but you ain't got on top of it yet. God, You got to get on top of the mountain. So what I'm telling you is a lot of us have come out of Babylon and we've come back to Zion, but we're just standing at the foot of the hill. God said you're going to have to climb the mountain. See, a lot of us think we've arrived. Can I tell you something? No, we've we just left Babylon. We're still walking out of it progressively. So we could go back to those people who were in Egypt and Babylon, same thing, and say, hey, come on out of here with me. God brought me out, you know, and, and if he brought me out, he can bring you out. Let's go. And we're on a journey now. Praise God. I said we're on a journey now to go and possess everything that God has for us. I'm excited. Are y'all okay? Now to make a long story short, so I'm in preaching it. But when they get over in the Promised Land, they have to fight. They have to possess the promise. I said they have to possess the promise, and it's progressive when it, and it's taken. That deliverance is not automatic and it doesn't happen overnight when joshua goes in with those people they have to fight they go first to jericho oh hello i don't have time but let go through all these different places and conquer that territory so this that we're talking about the promised land is a picture of a spirit-led life Not people who are infants wandering around and looking back to Egypt. But they're people who are led by the Spirit. I said led by the Spirit. Not the flesh. Are y'all okay out there? I love y'all. Don't take me wrong. I'm trying to help us here. But I got a lot to say in a short period of time to do it. wants us to have a total inheritance and a total deliverance but you got to fight for it there's opposition there's enemies saying no amen you got to believe god's word you got to walk in the spirit you cannot start walking in the flesh oh god don't watch this if any man sin the scripture says he sins outside the body You remember that scripture? If you sin, you sin outside the body. But if you lay with a harlot, you sin in the body. Now what does he mean by that? The harlot is a picture of a false apostate church. Because you're laying with her in the body you, you got to hear there's only two women in the Bible there is a true woman of God and there is a harlot so if you, if you commit a fornication with a woman you commit it with her in the body it's talking about the corporate body the church but if any man sin out, it's not committing adultery with are you hearing me you're not committing adultery with a woman or a church system that's apostate then he says you're sinning outside the body which means this two things you can sin in the body the church by being connected to a harlot church system. You're sinning in the body. Now, if you sin outside the body, that means that you're not operating in spiritual fornication with a religious system. What you're doing is you're playing with the world. You're sinning with the world outside of a religious institution. When you sin, the scripture says, if it's not adultery, you sin outside the body. Which means this, as soon as you start walking in sin, you've stepped out of the body of Christ. That's why you have to abide in Him. You have to keep his commandments. If you don't, you sin. When you sin, you sin outside the body. That doesn't mean that he won't forgive you. He does. But if we willfully sin, there remains no more sacrifice for sin, but a fearful looking forward toward judgment, which means I'm going to have to pay a penalty for the sin that I do willfully or a high hand. Or presumptuously are you with me here so my point is this if i'm walking in sin tonight i've sinned outside the body I've, I've stepped out of the will of god i've stepped out of the body of the purpose of god i'm walking outside the body give god praise Woo, give god some praise here tonight so when you're led by the spirit you're not giving yourself to the works of the flesh People say, well, I can't be perfect, Pastor. Where do you get that in the Bible? The Bible doesn't say that. It says, be ye perfect and sin not. That's the philosophy of the Antichrist that says, that tells, that preachers, you say, you can't be perfect anyway, so you might as well just sin a little bit. The Bible says, be ye perfect and sin Not. It doesn't tell us that we can all sin a little bit and that we all sin a little bit. Now, that may be true, but I can't give license to that in my life. It is true we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God, but it is not true. It is not true when people say that you have to sin a little bit. That's not true. It is not true when they say, well, nobody can be perfect. That's a cop-out. Gosh. And I'm not saying I've arrived either, honey. So don't look at me like I am. I haven't said that. But what I'm telling you is that perfection is maturity. It's growing up in Him, which is the head. At some point, we shouldn't be, you know, struggling with the old sin. At some point, we shouldn't be struggling with the old world. At some point... We should be led by the Spirit. Because if we don't, if we're not led by the Spirit, we'll fall in apostasy. The apostate world system will suck us into it. it we'll commit sin in the body when we lie with the harlot. Give God praise. But when you move in this promised land, topic spirits we're talking about, you've got power here. You've got miracle here. You've got power over the flesh. You've got power over death. You've got all kinds of signs, miracles, and wonders taking place. And if you'll just walk in faith and be led by the Spirit, everywhere you go, every enemy will fall. Not part of them, but every one of them will fall. Every one of them will fall. Every struggle with the flesh has to fall to the spirit until ultimately we rise up in maturity or perfection in Christ. Now watch. My spirit was immediately saved. My soul is being born again and my body ultimately will be born again. Do you understand what I'm telling you? So someday we will reach an ultimate perfection. But don't listen to the philosophy of the world says well everybody's got to sin a little bit that's a lie from hell because if you sin the bible says you sin outside the body now you understand the heartbeat of your preacher god's not playing games this hour god's not playing games right now i'm telling you it's serious we are in an end time last generation last day move of god that's going to be so awesome But you gotta walk in a way that you can experience the power of God in deliverance. You've gotta be there when the package is set. You can't get rebellious, you can't get an attitude, can't get offended. You gotta rise up above all of that stuff. You you can't you can't let an image of jealousy stand in your temple. If you've got jealousy in your heart right now, you've got an, an image of jealousy standing up in your temple. You need to get rid of that jealousy, that attitude. You need to get rid of the sin that's in your life. Because if you don't, God says, I see the image of jealousy standing in the temple. You've got to overcome that stuff to see the power of God in your life. Give God praise. Give Him worship. He's moving. He's moving. It's not going to be easy, I'm going to tell you right now. If you're looking for a church that's going to make it easy for you. You don't want to be a part of this last days generation church that God is raising up. Because the gospels represent the first three and a half years of the tribulation period. And the book of Acts represent the last three and a half years of the tribulation period. And the last three and a half years, when you look at the book of Acts, you see nothing but persecution to the apostles that are in that river. So if they were persecuted in that river at the beginning, you can be assured of the ones that stand up on the other side are going to be persecuted like they. But they're not going to be persecuted in this hour by the Jewish people. They're going to be persecuted, persecuted by the apostate church. If you think it's going to be easy for you to walk out of an apostate system without a fight on your hands, without persecution there, you have misunderstood it. Because when you walk out of an apostate system, guess what's going to happen? That apostate church system you came out of is going to persecute you because now you're led by the Spirit of the living God. Whenever the apostles came out of Judaism, Judaism fought them. As the same, what happened to them is happening now. So that when you're led by the Spirit, they were led by the Spirit then and they had to overcome all kinds of enemies. It's a picture naturally of what's happened in the Spirit in the last days. This is what kind of war you're in right now. I said, this is what kind of war you're in right now. Give God some praise right now. So if you're looking for an easy way out, you don't want to be a part of this end time revival. But if you want to be a part of what God's doing, It's going to be so exciting. And just as in the days of Jesus, you had disciples. Every one of those represent a body. They represent a seed. Judas has his seed in the earth right now. There's a corporate body of Judas in the earth. We don't know who they are, but they're in our midst. Watch this the disciples didn't even know who Judas that Judas was the one that would betray Christ Judas was in their midst. They did not know he was the son of perdition. They did not know it Judas is a father of a seed. We don't know who is going to be a part of that body I want to be a part of the body of Christ That's why I can't sin because if I sin outside I sin outside the body of Christ But there's other people who are part of the apostate system. They are part of Judas in the midst of the church. I'm not just talking about this body locally. I'm talking about the world body as a whole that there is a a, a, a a son of perdition family there is a son of perdition seed that we don't even know about yeah because you know why we don't know it because they look just like us they talk like us and signs miracles and wonders take place at their hand I believe that when Judas went out that signs miracles and wonder wonders were done by or through him how are you with me right now so that even disciples did not recognize did not know yeah I can tell you right now because Judas can't cast out devils very good it's got to be Judas no, they didn't even know it till the final hour until he fell away. I'm trying to show you something here. That apostate generation that died in the wilderness is going to be repeated in our time. Now pray to God that all of us are part of that body of Christ. That none of us are part of that apostate son of perdition system. My, 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 my. I didn't realize this was going to go on like this tonight, honestly. But the Holy Ghost is in charge. I'm not, so. So they begin in the conquest of Canaan under Joshua. That's what we're supposed to be doing now. It's about God and His kingdom. It's not about me and mine. Oh, yours. It's about God and His kingdom. We're not careful. We get so sucked up in this present world. Watch this. They conquest. they, They took over Canaan land. The promised land. Generally. Generally. But not specifically every area. Even in the days of Joshua. There was still territory yet unconquered. But generally in his day, they conquered Canaan. Are you with me? <laughs> when they conquered Canaan, it's a type of a spirit-led life, conquering everything. There's a hindrance opposition to God and His purpose in this hour. Whenever you do that, you understand that sometimes we do it generally first, and then we start dealing with specifics. Okay? When we deal with things generally, we deal it with it corporately. All right, and and, and, and it's really not too uh, nitty-gritty at that point. But when you start dealing with specifics and you, oh, God, you start start getting really nitty-gritty. You know what I'm talking about? You start dealing with a little bit of issues, man. That's when it gets real tough. The general overtaking of the land, that's one thing. But when you start dealing with specifics, that gets really, really touchy. Well, they're too picky. Yeah, no, 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 no. We're just at a time now where it's got to be specifics now. So anyway, after the conquest, the land generally, how long have I been in this Bible city? I'm almost about an hour on this one page. Oh, God. After they conquest the land, take over the land. Then they start declining. Right? It's, it's, it's the nature of mankind. It's my nature. It's your nature to move in the Spirit and in a fall and decline. They did it in the days of Joshua. And as they started falling decline, Joshua said this. He gathered everybody in Shechem. And he said, who's on the Lord's side? Uh, who's on the choose you do this this day choose you this day whom you will serve who's on the Lord's side no more time no more straddling the fence you either get in or you get out he said who's on the Lord's side and all of Israel at that time of decline said you know what we repent of that decline we gather ourselves up right now Oh, we almost missed it. Thank God for Joshua. We almost missed it. We almost backslid completely. We were starting to decline into idolatry again. If it wasn't for Joshua who said, come on, y'all. Who's on my side? Who's on the Lord's side? Choose. He called him in Shechem. See, here's the thing. I can stand up and I can preach the word to you. And I can gather you here. And I, as I bring that word to you, that's my job. But I can't choose for you. You have to choose for yourself. Joshua said, choose. Who's on the Lord's side? Joshua was a tool in the hands of God to bring them truth and to gather them there in Shechem. But he could not choose for them. That's your decision. I can't do it for you. You can't do it for him. It's got to be a choice made. I'm looking at There's a young man in this church right now. If he will yield to God, and I'm not going to go specific to him, but if he will yield to God, God's going to use him. God's going to use him. And the Holy Ghost is going to tell that man who he is. There's something in that man right now that's leaping inside of him as this word goes forth he knows this is the word of God and it's jumping inside of him This comes to me right now in the Spirit. Some of you not long ago were charged to go out into the highways and byways into the rough areas of this city and go out there like a military unit to, to reach those people in the rough areas of this city. I want you to know because that hand of God is upon you to do that, you've come under great temptation to pull you out of that purpose. But you better, if you can get yourself together right now, come and check up and hear the Word of God and say, I'm going to serve the Lord God. And then go out there in that rough area of the city that city is going to be conquered by you God has put that in your lot it's for your tribe to take care of and I'm not even looking in that general area if it's the word of God you know who I'm talking about but you see you'll be tested The enemy will come against you to try to keep you from fulfilling the word of God in your life Rise up in the name of Jesus. Stand strong in the name of Jesus. There's a battle. There's a fight in the spirit. And it's real and it's intense. Come on over here and check them. Hello. Come over here. Choose right now. Will you choose the Lord? Yeah. Well, that's good that you made a choice. I'm glad you made a choice to serve God. But he goes on and tells them, he says, there's idols that you got to get rid of. There's things in your life that have to change. So they said, we're not only going to choose the Lord, but we'll get rid of our idols and we'll change our life. God hadn't just called us to choose him. He's called us to get rid of the idols and to change our lives. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost. God, he's going to do it, church. He's going to do it. But he's going to do it through a body, a corporate body. His seed is who he's going to do it through joshua dies he dies and the book of judges which we began preaching sunday morning sunday morning in the book of judges is a message for this hour because the book of judges shows you a time after the death of joshua when the people again began to decline into apostasy it's a picture of the apostate religious church system today the book of Judges and we're going into detail and, and God's had me look up over 40 names and find out their meanings to just show what's going on in the spirit right now Ooh, I'm excited I'm telling you I can't do it for you I'm just going to preach the word you're going to have to choose I can't beat you up I can't make you do it I can't beat you into it I just show you what it is you're going to choose one way or the other but during the time of apostasy, after the death of Joshua, then God begins to raise up judges at that time. These judges are really saviors. They are deliverers. They're not, not judges in the sense of, of setting in a court of law. They are saviors and deliverers who declare the mind of God to people. They are more like prophets who God raises up so as the people of god decline remember they're in the land they've conquered generally the land but there's still other part of the land needs to be conquered and uh but they have this tendency to fall to lapse down into backsliding so god raises up a judge here and a judge there and a judge there to to be a deliverer. are you with me to save them say come on people of god you're not supposed to be acting like this. Come on, people of God. You're not supposed to be walking in apostasy. Come on, people of God. Repent of your sins so God can bless you again. Every time they fell into decline. You know what happened to the people of God? that served God. They fall into decline. And then all kinds of battle that the enemy would overcome them. The enemy would defeat them. They would lose the blessings of God. They were no longer walking in power and conquering huh, territory and defeating the enemy. The reverse took place now instead of walking in blessing and power and conquering they have become the conquered it's apostasy just like this hour so God raises up a deliverer he'll come along he he gets them turn the right direction God delivers them from their enemies and starts blessing them again that's his desire he wants to bless you he wants to give you abundance in an inheritance yeah let's just talk about a few of them real quick y'all remember Gideon Gideon thou mighty man of valor he's over there hiding God said you're a mighty man of valor and over hiding oh there's so much topology here the natural first and the spiritual there's a picture of a church hiding out over there feeling all weak intimidated and God said hello mighty man of valor who me yeah you you're a mighty man because see, listen, because God always comes to you not where you are, but where you will be. The only times he comes to you where you are is so you can get rid of some stuff, so you can become what he's seen in the future. So he says, Mighty man of valor. Well, I know you're not that right now, but that's what you're gonna be. So he comes, and he talks to some of you and he said, You're powerful. You're a mighty man of valor, you're a mighty one. Wa- Who, me? You talking to me? What are you talking about? I'm not even sage here. Oh, God me? You want me to preach? I can't even teach Sunday school. (laughs) Give God praise. Mighty man of that. Well, you know the long, the long old story. There's a Midianite, Midianite war that's taking place in the land against God's people. For seven years, the Midianites are fighting them. There's so many Midianites, they're like grasshoppers. They're just everywhere. And so God raises up Gideon up there to fight all these Midianites there. And so Gideon stands up and he says, who volunteer?" 32,000 men walk up there and say, I'm with you, Gideon. Let's go. Let's go get the Midianites because they're coming to take the harvest. Every year that the harvest is about to be brought in, the Midianites come and take the harvest. We do all the work and they come take the harvest. Gideon said, "It's about time for us to have a a a a what are what are those people who have these? Uh, they carry their signs, you know. Yeah, but they're they're a part of a what? They they work for companies and yeah, but what do you call those people? Strikers? Yeah, I know, but they're a part of a, 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 an organization." Union, yeah, they're union workers. We're tired of the Midianites taking our harvest. Praise God. So Gideon, he's the head of the union union organization. He says, are y'all tired of this? Now 32,000, yeah, we're tired of it. Let's go, Gideon. 32,000 joining. But you see, 32,000 is really nothing in comparison to all the Midianites. I've got about 20 minutes to finish this five-page lesson. Thirty-two thousand—that's too many, too many, too many. The Midianites are like grasshoppers in the land. Thirty-two thousand—we're nothing in comparison to them. At thirty-two thousand, and you're saying that's too many, God, God? You're saying that—that's too many. So Gideon, the union chief, stands up and he says, "All you cowards that have volunteered." All the cowards, no need for you to go and fight. All you cowards can go home now. How many you think, how many cowards do you think stood up and went home? Five, ten, twenty-two thousand men of thirty-two thousand volunteers said, Who I'm afraid. 22,000 cowards in the union club. That leaves 10,000 men. God says, Gideon, that's too many men. Oh, we need to have a test to see who's worthy to fight. Don't come around and talk to me about how much you've done and how much you know all of that. Don't give me your plans, all of that stuff. Are you with me right now? Because God said, you know what, ten thousands too many. So I got to put you to the test to see if you qualify to do my work. Yeah, you, you're not hearing me. Oh, I got I to gotta, I gotta settle down here. I'm teaching a Bible study. Don't come around bragging about everything you're doing. The question is, do you qualify to do even what you're doing? We appreciate it. Huh? You know, we appreciate it. But, you know, anyway. We got to have a test here. We got 10,000. That's too many we got to see who qualifies to do the work. See who passed the test. So 10,000 men go up to the water. Hallelujah. 9,700 of them go down to their knees like this. 300 men go. Stay alert. They stay alert. Guinea stands up and says, well, I got ten thousand men here. Only three hundred qualify. Nine thousand seven hundred of you are now dismissed to go home. Because you failed the water test. There's a lot of people can't even be ba- get baptized in Jesus' name. They failed the water test. But let me show you something interesting. The position that those 9,700 took in sucking up the water is the position you would take if you were a bell worshiper. They had so much bell worship in them, so much mixture in them. God said, I can't use you because you've got too much mixture inside of you. So he said 9,700. So now from 32,000 people, we had 22,000 that were cowards. We had 9,700 that failed the water test, only leaving 300. God said, mm, that's about right. It's probably a little bit too many, but it's about right. 300 against a vast host of Midianites, thousands and thousands of Midianites, like grasshoppers, 300 men. The point is, God doesn't need your human strength. What God needs is faith and obedience. It's not in the size of the congregation. It's in the faith and the obedience that's in that heart. 300, 300. Of them, 300 of them. Hallelujah. Because see, majority's not always right. Mm-mm. God always has a spiritual minority. 300 men they take a picture put a torch on the inside take trumpets walk outside there and at the time proper time all 300 men sound trumpets bus pitchers light flashes they're shouting listen the bible said they're shouting and they're playing trumpets and their lights shining There should be a sounding of a prophetic word. The sounding of a trumpet. The light should be shining. And there should be the shouts of the praise upon the people of God. And as they're shouting, and as that prophetic word's going forth, and as that light is shining, that huge host of Midianites that had given them trouble for seven years begin to fight each other in confusion until they destroy each other. God God, God says, well, I just needed a a manifestation, that's all. It wasn't the number that was important. I just needed a body to manifest myself in. So, you know, thanks for showing up. Because I defeated them without you even lifting up a sword against them. I defeated them myself by confusion, because you walked in faith in obedience to me. It's not in your human strength or your human ability. It's in faith in obedience to God. That's the story of Guinea, we got another, okay. Praise God. So anyway. Too many knights are defeated. So time goes along. The people decline again. So God raises up another judge by the name of uh, Samuel. Let's go to Samuel. Say Samuel. Let's go to Samson. Samuel's after Samson. Let's talk about Samson. So we go from 300 now to one man. God says 300's too many. I can do it with One one man that's totally sold out and dedicated and walking in obedience and faith to me one man can take care of an army of Philistines so he raised up Samson y'all know the story right you know he was a real strong guy hallelujah strong big muscle man When he walks, he walked like that. Couldn't even see his neck. No, that's not true. He's a little old, little old scrawny guy. <laughs> little old scrawny guy. Maybe he's about my size. <laughs> this gives me hope, praise God. It wasn't in his physical ability or his physical strength. It was in the anointing of God so that he could, rip, he could rip gates off a city and carry them. How many miles, Christina, did he carry those gates? Do you remember? 40 miles? Something like 40 miles. This guy ripped off the city gates and carried them like 40 miles in the power and strength of the Holy Ghost. Not in the strength of his own might. oh man he gave the Philistines spit. to make a long story shorter because i whew. the bible says he had a weakness though see he's a nazarite his hair's grown long it's a sign of his consecration to god he's got a weakness it's called women Ooh, hallelujah see we got to be careful praise god that we don't succumb to certain temptations and certain weaknesses in our lives amen And so anyway, to make a long story short, he got hooked up with a woman by the name of Delilah. He laid his head in the lap of Delilah, Delilah, Delilah said, Hey, tell me where your strength is. Four times she pressed him, pressed him, pressed him. Come on, tell me where your strength is. And finally he gave in and told her where his strength is. The Philistines came in, cut his hair. He lost his consecration. He lost his holiness. When he lost his holiness, his consecration to God, he lost his power. They took him. They put out his eyes, made him walk around in circles. In a meal in bondage, a man who was once used powerfully of God is now a man who's in bondage. Can't see—he's blind. He no longer has vision in the things of God. He's lost his power, his anointing, and he's going in circles as a slave. But the Bible says this, the grace of God comes upon him. Howbeit his hair begin to grow. And as his hair begin to grow, he walks into a temple there. They're all getting excited about Dagon, you know. And he, he says, he looked at somebody and said, I put my hands on the pillar. And he prayed, God, give me strength one more time. Howbeit his hair begin to grow. Put my hands on the pillars. The New Testament says the pillars in the church are... Peter, James, John. They are set to be known as pillars in the church. If I could just touch a man of God, that's all I need. Just let me touch a man of God in this place. Let me touch those pillars. And as soon as he touched those pillars, the power of God fell on him. And he pulled those pillars down. And when he did, more Philistines died in his death. Than in all of his life, by the grace of God. Somebody said, "Well, was he saved?" I believe he was. Y'all know the story. Amen. Well, we know another judge. His name's Samuel. He's a priest judge. Samuel's a little boy. He's dedicated by Hannah. He is literally conceived by prayer. He comes forth into the world. Hallelujah! Brought into the world by prayer. Hannah takes this young man back to the church, gives him to Eli, a corrupt priest, dedicates him to God. He said he's going to be God's. He belongs to God. He's the first fruits. He belongs to God. He's the type of the man child. Bible said he's laying there on his pallet there. Yeah, we, just, we call it a pallet. He's laying there. He hears this voice in the night. You know, the best place for your kids to hear, hear God is when you bring them to church. He's in church. He's in the church house. And when he's in the church house, that's when the voice of God comes to him. You never know when God's going to talk to your child. You bring him to the house of God, and all of a sudden, God talks to that person. You don't even know what's going on. God talks to me. But anyway, he hears this voice. He don't, even, he don't even recognize what the voice is. So He goes to Eli. Somebody, did you call me Eli? No, no, that's God talking to you. And if God does it again, just say, here I am. I'm your servant. I'm hearing, I hear you, I hear you, I'm your servant. Speak, I'm your servant, I'll hear you. And so God begins to speak to Samuel right there. Now, once he speaks to Samuel, then Samuel's got to do something very difficult. He's got to go tell a corrupt priesthood. He's got to go tell Eli that God's going to judge him. God's going to judge you, Eli. See, that's a very difficult thing to do. I don't know if you've ever been there where you've got to stand up. You've got to say, God's going to judge you. And and I'm talking about Eli. I'm talking about a man. I'm talking about an adult here. And this little boy's got to go tell a man, you're out of order. You're wrong. God's going to judge you. God's going to bring your priesthood down. But you know what? This young little boy who heard from God wasn't intimidated. And he walked up to Eli and he said, he he prophesied what God told him to. He was not intimidated. He was faithful all through his life. He was a priest judge unto Israel. Give God praise. He started a school of the prophets. And at the end of his life, the people of God wanted a king. They said, well, we don't want just judges. We want a king like the rest of the nations. Now, here's the thing. God didn't forbid them to have a king in the law, but their timing was wrong. They wanted a king in their time. Hello, somebody. I know your search for truth manual says, and and for so long I went went with that and said those things because it was in the search for truth manual. But the law provided for a king. But it was God's king, God's choice, and God's time. They missed God's time, God's choice. Hello? But they told Samuel, they said, Samuel, we want a king. We're tired of you. We, we want your resignation papers. We want a king like the rest of the nations. And so to make a long, long story short, we see up here Israel demands a king like the other nations. King Saul is anointed. Amen. He starts out well. Y'all know the story. Head and shoulders above the rest. Starts out well. Then he gets jealous, tries to kill David. He disobeys God. Watch this. God goes ahead and allows them to have Saul to be king. God anoints him. Samuel instructs him. Saul perishes. You can be anointed, instructed, and perish. Saul was anointed, instructed by Samuel, and perished because he got in unbelief. Give God praise. Until eventually, finally, y'all know the story of his disobedience. He falls on his own sword in the battlefield. He dies a terrible death. Following him, David, say King David. Samuel anoints King David. He has a young boy. As a young boy, he prayed for King Saul, the harp. As a young boy, he killed the giant while King Saul was still alive. As a young boy, he was anointed to take King Saul's place. Are you with me? Amen. And because he's anointed here, and the Bible says when he killed Goliath, all, you know, the women got out and started praising, hallelujah, the Lord. Are y'all okay? If I get it's, it's still early. Hallelujah. He's, uh, you know, he... Whoo, powerful victory over that giant. And the women start singing. Saul has killed his thousands. But David has killed his ten thousand. Now all that praise that the women were giving David... Didn't affect David, but it did affect Saul. <laughs> it didn't matter what God. God could raise up David, exalt him, bless him, and all kinds of people loving David and talking about how powerful he is. But he never got a big head. <clears throat> Would to God we had the spirit of David. <laughs> <coughs> That's why God can't use a lot of us. Because if we were start to be used by God and prospered and raised up, we'd get a big head. But David, as God's raising him up, and everybody's singing his praises. He doesn't let it get to his head. He stays, he keeps the right spirit about it. Stays humble before his God. But there's a flesh guy walking around named Saul. And he gets, he starts trying to kill David. <coughs> Go with me. Takes his javelin, tries to pin him against the wall. Tried to kill him so David has to run for his life. To make a long story shorter, Saul, of course, died, as we said before. And David, who was anointed as a young man, he rises up at the age of 30. and He's anointed to be king, okay? So he's, he kills a giant. He's a man after God's own heart. But then David falls. (coughs) David falls. When he should be out fighting the battle. When he should be engaged in war with his men in the battlefield. He sends the men out. He stays behind. And while he's idle, an idle mind is the workshop of the devil. I said an idle mind is the workshop of the devil. And while, come on, are you with me? While his men are out there fighting, David stayed behind. He looked out his window and he saw Bathsheba washing herself out there on the top of her roof. Two sins, David watching her and Bathsheba doing it out there where he could see her. I got news for you. It wasn't David's fault. It wasn't all David's fault. Bathsheba knew he was looking at her. She's sin. Oh, come on. Make a long story short. Now, how do I know that? I just know. Hallelujah. The Holy Ghost, praise God, if the Bible don't say it, the Holy Ghost tell me. Hallelujah. David said, come on over here. The problem is David's got all the women he, he needs, man. And this Bathsheba woman, this woman is married. It's unlawful for him to have her. He's married to Uriah. Is it the Hittite? Uriah the Hittite, his his." His honorable general, his faithful general in battle, the man that's out there in the battle fighting for David, conquering territory, risking his life. And David's over here looking at his wife and having relationships. Come on over here, Bathsheba. To make a long story short, they get together. You know what happens? Bathsheba's with child. David, to try to cover up his sin summons for Uriah the Hittite off the battlefield. Tries to make him drink. Uriah says, I can't drink because I'm in war right now. What a faithful man. What an honorable man. said, David, I'm, I'm so loyal to you. I can't even drink when you offer it to me. I'm dedicated to you. I'm loyal. I'm with you, David. I'll fight for you to the end. David had already had relationships with his wife. Are you with me? So the man would not compromise his loyalty to David. So David, he's so wicked. It can happen to anybody. It can happen to anybody. But David's so wicked. He said, "You know what? I'm going to send him back to the, to the battle. Put him on the." front lines where the heat of the battle is, where there'll be sure death. Uriah gets out in the battlefield. He's slain in the battlefield. So now that David's, he's guilty of two sins, murder and adultery. And in the Old Testament, the penalty for that is death. But Psalm 51, he repents unto God. He reaches all the way to the New Testament. And what the law did not provide in forgiveness under the Old Testament, he deserved death. What the law couldn't provide, he reached all the way into the New Testament age. And he said, by grace, by mercy, how are you with me right now? I need the work of the cross to take effect in me right now. He repented of his sin. That's why he was a man after God's own heart. He sinned greatly, but he knew how to repent greatly. Listen to me. If you do something wrong, be like David. Repent greatly. If you sin greatly, repent greatly. Watch this. David thought it was all covered up. Nathan, the prophet, walked in. He tells him a story about a little ewe lamb. He said, David, he said there was a man who had all kinds of lambs. He wanted to feed some people, and he, went and he got the household pet. He got the household pet, a little ewe lamb, out of somebody else's house. He killed it and fed it to him when he had all these lambs that he owned he stole another man's lamb and killed it David got angry he said that man dies because he took a little household pet and used it for himself when he had abundance in lambs the prophet looked at him and said you're the man David passed the sentence of death upon his own head He had to reach all the way to the cross to find forgiveness. The prophet tells David, David, you are forgiven of your sin, but your household from this day forward will go downhill. See, if we sin against God willfully, if we sin against God with a high hand, the Bible talks about in the Old Testament, or presumptuously is the word in the Old Testament, which means we do it and we know we're doing wrong, God will forgive us for that sin, but we are not released from the penalty of that sin. But I thought Jesus died for even the penalty of our sin. Yes, He did, but not for willful sin. Not for willful sin. Which means He will forgive even willful sin, but you have to pay your own price for it. Oh, so you don't want to hear that kind of talk. You want me to stand up here and tell you you can do everything you want to whenever you want to and just sin willfully and get away with it with no consequence. Just go say, under the blood. It don't work that way. I could prove that by the Scripture. Old and New Testament. But anyway, David's forgiven. And you look at his life. From that day forward, his life went downhill. Absalom rebel. I can't tell you the whole story of David. David was an awesome man, though. I, I love him. He's, and God loved him. And the people of God loved him. But he failed right there. And he paid a great price for it. We always do. All of us do. All of us do. After David, his son Solomon is anointed to be king to take his place. Nathan anoints him <coughs> to be the king. He's the wisest man on earth of his day. He builds the temple. His wives, though, turn him to sin. The wisest man in the world. The man who built the house of God. He starts intermarrying with all these strange women. Are y'all getting bored?